Okay, welcome to this podcast for the School of Peace Theology. I'm Greg Vidal, the director for the School of Peace Theology. Along with us today is Michael Hardin, who is the founder of Preaching Peace and the director, as well as the founder of the School of Peace Theology. And we have with us today Dr. Marty Folsom, who will be teaching a course for the School of Peace Theology. And we wanted to give you a feel for who he is as a person, as an instructor, and the course that he's doing and uh, what he's passionate about. So first, uh, Marty, thank you for being with us. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you as a part of the School of Peace Theology. And let's just give people a feel for who you are, what you're doing, uh, what's going on in your life. So go ahead. Right, well, 59 years wrapped up in a few sentences is to say I'm a theologian who has spent a, a good part of my life studying the nature of who is God as one who informs the nature of how we as humans live in a way that doesn't just fill our heads, but creates an interaction in life that is something that is life-giving and nurturing and restoring, because I see a world that's largely fragmenting. So my, my research has all been the question of the relational. And even the relational, we can get into our head. And so to say, how does that way of acting as friends towards one another fulfill the original intention of the God who creates. So I do lecturing in a variety of schools, undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral level. I do marriage and family therapy. I write books. They're all around the theme of what does it mean to be somebody who receives the love of God and then extends that to humans who never get trained. Somehow, we've missed having classes that really engage the relational. And we think sometimes that psychology does that, but psychology is really about the individual and how they think, feel, and behave. My whole emphasis and all I do is how do we transform the nature of what happens between us and God and between us and others? I am in a second marriage. I have three kids by my first marriage. I was remarried 15 and a half years ago and had three more come in with that marriage. So I have been working in a blended marriage for um, 15 years, which has been part of the journey of discovery of how to engage what it means to be family in the midst of all of that. And the, my favorite things to do outside of theological work are cooking. I love hospitality and sitting at table and having people say, wow, I feel like royalty. And it's like, well, that's what you should feel because I want you to feel that this is an invitation for you to come out and really be honored, enjoyed, and to uh, be friends. Also gardening, I, I love the beauty of gardening and uh, being outside and all that, as well as things like bicycling and kayaking and getting out in the nature, which here in the state of Washington, we have all kinds of wonderful opportunities for that. So there's a little nutshell. That is a nutshell. So tell us in terms of the discipline that you chose to go into, What? why did you choose the the big, large disciplinary that you did and said, you know, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is the direction I'm taking it in. How'd you get there? So I am the fourth of six children, and my dad converted out of Christianity as a science teacher. He just could not see the meaningfulness of the Christian faith in light of his empirical faith in science. So for me, that set me on a challenge of finding the meaningfulness of the Christian faith. My mom is a kind, um, community-creating kind of person with a positive attitude. And so I had this highly intellectual and highly relational context in which I grew. 
and I'm the I'm the first one of the second half of the six kids, and so I had kind of a position of being a leader and valued, but I was also a younger brother, so it positioned me to not have to be a full-time leader, but also to be somebody who could care about younger siblings, and that positioning of being kind of leader, kind of follower, put me in a position in life where I didn't have to take on responsibilities beyond what I had to, but I really could focus on the question of how do I connect with friends and family? And what I saw in the church that my dad had basically rejected is that, yeah, the church can be a pretty boring, pretty heady. Um, it really misses a lot of what it means to basically love one another, which is kind of at the core of the Bible. So, as I went along life, I did get involved in leadership, and I started reading some books by a guy by the name of Bruce Larson, one of which was called No Longer Strangers, An Introduction to Relational Theology. Bruce was largely rejected by the academy because they said he just took psychology and kind of went and found Bible verses to back it up. I don't think that was true, but his sermons were basically what informed his books. So I really set my life journey to ask the question, how do I get where Bruce got by doing good academic theology? So in the nature of the course of time, I began to see the nature of Trinitarian theology, especially as taught firstly by, I was first introduced by James Torrance, um, gave me a vision that the very life of the triune God was about relationships. And that if you start there, you're gonna understand something about what it means to be persons, what it means out of being persons to live with one another in a way. And so ultimately that journey led me to New Zealand to study with Alan Torrance and Douglas Campbell. And that's where I think that the whole nature of being a theologian who is providing for the church resources to go back and read the Bible and to recognize that in many ways our Western culture has given us lenses that get us into our heads and we need to get back into the life of relating with God and one another in very overt acting kind of ways and to really understand um, the huge implications of that. One other piece that went beyond that is I did a postdoctorate at Regent College asking how do we contextualize family systems therapy within Trinitarian theology. For me that gave a whole picture of the way our human relationships systemically work out the dysfunctions, the hope for reconnecting and creating something of healthy families that has furthered my understanding of the nature of how theology then informs something that is very practical. I also did work on addictions therapy, particularly the work of Ann Wilson Schaaf, where she talks about society as well as organizations, as well as persons, all being part of addictive systems. So you put that all together and I'd say, you know, my involvement in the discipline of theology is a very God-centered Trinitarian starting point that is not done until it works out in communities and families and friendships that become transformative and really interactive in a way that get us out of our head and into dialogue and knowing and being known. So Marty, you're, you're really, Mike. go ahead. Yeah, Marty, this is Michael. Hi, Michael. What, hi, for me, you have literally just described the, the, what I would call the task of theology. Yes. And it was, it was um, in that very kind of uh, church dogmatics 1 1 sense, you know, right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, one of the beautiful things that I, I like about um, the work that uh, JB and Tom Torrance did, of course, in their uh, leanings on Bart, Karl Bart, 
yep. um, that you bring in, into the picture is the important congruity between theology, ethics, and spirituality. And in other words, there's a holistic approach. Yep. The reason that for me that's important, and the reason that um, I'm really excited about the fact you're actually teaching um, your research here on Trinitarian thinking to the School of Peace Theology is that there's a large movement within uh, sectarian Protestant Christianity called Trinitarian theology, oddly enough. Uh -huh. um, and it's, it's, it has some good versions, but mostly the versions are rather deleterious because they lack an anthropology, and so there's no connection to ethics. Uh -huh. And uh, I think what you bring to the table is the necessary corrective and the... Uh, worldview to create for this model of a relational trinity that embeds and incarnates in human life and form. I think that's true. I had one student once say, you're the first theologian that ever gave me resources that weren't to just go back and teach a class about doctrine to somebody else. You take it all the way down to where we live. It's like, yeah, somehow if it's theology, that's what theology should do, which I think is what you're saying. It um, it should never live in the clouds. It should always inform the nature of how we live and act and behave with one another. It does include our thinking, but my doctoral work, um, Karl Barth was my major person who I, who I looked at, but also John Zazula's Greek Orthodox theologian, which the whole Eastern understanding of theology is very relational, but also John McMurray, a Scottish philosopher who's yes. largely been neglected. And he is possibly one of my very favorite people. And right now I'm working on an article of the influence of John McMurray on Thomas Torrance. Oh, because I think it's huge. Wow. And so if you get McMurray, who is this personalist, action-oriented, huge ethical outcomes person, and see what he did for Tom Torrance, he helped get both to Bart, but also to this question that you're speaking of, the lived, ethical, practical life of what it means to spiritually be formed out of relationship and have it shape the nature of the way we engage with God and one another. And fundamentally, you're suggesting a paradigm shift that's really not a paradigm shift because it already happened uh, in the Trinitarian thinking of Nicaea. It just seems to have never incarnated itself. And so that you bring this new uh, 20th century turn to relationality that we see in so many disciplines. Uh, Zizioulis, of course, uh, when being in communion came out, how exciting that was, and uh, Catherine yes. Lefebvre and Karl Rahner's work on the Trinity. I mean, the 20th century has had more Trinitarian discussion than any century in the history of Christendom. And we are really yep. thinking the character of this God that we say is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth and, and then by the Spirit to the humans. It's amazing. But let me turn this back over to Greg. Well, I, I was just going to say, we just hope a lot of people take your course, because to get the practical implications of good theology is so important, and it just sounds so rich, what you, uh, the journey you've been on and what you have to give to people. So let me ask you one other question. Uh, just in terms of focusing down a little bit more for where you are right now, if I was to ask you, you know, what elements of that you're learning and teaching right now are real passion areas for you. I mean, you might have already hit them, but if you want to drill a little bit more specific in some places, what are some passion areas? Yep. yep. So, so I've been meeting for seven years with three guys going through John McMurray's uh, The Self as Agent and Persons in Relation. 
And what it's done for me is helped me just to ask the question, how, how do we become doctors who really care for the patient in recognizing that our society is largely based on individualism and theoretical thinking that is basically fragmenting us? So in light of that, you know, what does it mean to rethink the nature, what it means to be persons as being in relation? So that's a huge subject for me. What does it mean to have the nature of action precede our theoretical thinking so that even when we think in our head, it's always because we're saying, how can we act differently towards my neighbor, towards my spouse, towards my kid, that the theory is only valuable if it has this practical application. And then to say that the nature of fragmentation is to ask, what are the practical ways that we just engage the people in our house, in the neighborhood, um, when I take my dog out for a walk, I'm looking for people to engage them and to say, what does it mean to be your neighbor? And I'm not doing that in a philosophical kind of way. I'm doing it in a friend kind of way. So that's, you know, living out theology in a particular kind of way that is inviting, inhabiting a place in such a way that whatever is in my head begins to flow. And even the nature of what I do in the yard is to invite people into it, to enjoy it with them. So the whole nature of, you know, how is enjoyment, how is food, how does the finding of pleasure in the sharing of time and a good glass of wine and all those things together, how is that theology taking a practical form? So for me, that whole question about the big pictures of how, how do we get in this place? And well, Nicaea may have helped, um, the creed is missing some really basic things like, God's character and love. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ is the only son of Lord. Where is the part that we get to love? And yet it's it's critical to understand that the God revealed in Scripture is a God of love who acts in love and calls us to reflect that love, but it's not in our creed. That means that the statements that were made at Nicaea were good to describe God, but description is inadequate. We need the dynamic of a God who acts and relates so that the dynamic of our life with God and one another becomes transformative of who we are as in persons. Falling in love is a great example of a dynamic. You don't read a book about falling in love. One day you're walking along and bam, here's this person. You go, whoa, who are you? The who question is significant. And you ask those questions and then you invite them to know you. And in the dynamic of knowing and being known, you have relationship happening. So in a world that thinks of subject and object, you only can put the other person into categories. But in yes. a world of personal knowledge, I want to know who you are and to know who you are in relation to me. If I can describe you, but I don't know how you feel about me, I'm missing something huge. But the moment I feel that you feel that way too is the moment that as the song wonderfully says, is the moment I fall in love with you. Yes. Love only can happen in the mutuality of knowing and being known. And that's, I mean, I just think that's what scripture is all about. That's what theology that is doing what theology is supposed to do is all about. And so instead of our theology being talking about God as though God's sitting there silent to say, what does it look like to let God talk? What does it look like for you to say, have you ever heard the person of Jesus Christ say, you know, I love you no matter what and I'm never gonna let you go. And people go, well, you know, does he say that? It's like, well, the whole Bible saying that, the question is, will you let him say that to you specifically and personally so that you know 
that he knows you and you know that you are known. If we can't get to that point, Jesus is going to just be a theory in our head that we try and do some imitation kind of things that's just imitation instead of the real actual dynamic of living in the place of knowing and being known that is the very transformative place of who we are as persons. Oh, that's great. Speaking your language. <laughs> Woo! You speak in your language, Michael. Well, I, I feel like this first <laughs> course that you're offering here is, is just, you know, jumping off the cliff into one part, and there's so many more places to go with you in courses. So, because um, what you just said is so packed uh, full of implications and places to go. But let's talk about the one in the last few minutes that we have in the course that okay. you're going to start off with in the School of Peace Theology, which is your relational theology of peace. Um, why offer... For you, why offer that course first, and what are you, what are you hoping for students to get? Why do you think it's important for them to take it? So go ahead. So obviously, in the title, I'm putting myself and the school into a conversation. I'm a relational theologian, so to do a relational theology of peace means I want to show up as who I am, and I want to make sure that I bring what it is that I've been learning to the school. And a relation theology of peace says that there's a, obviously an important piece that's there. Now, to say both biblically and specifically in the persons of the Trinity, you know, he himself is our peace, is to say if we're going to do th theology and Jesus is our peace, then we have to say our theology has to begin with a person and to say that that personal presence of an actual person who acts means that peace for Jesus is never a theory. It's his way of being that creates reconciliation, that heals the broken, that invites the marginalized and heals families, that peace has something about a way of being and acting, not just a theory. So to say that he is revealing the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father is one that's committed to shalom. And so to see the whole vision of the Old Testament as God who creates for peace, who provides the sacrificial system, who provides the covenant, you know, all of these things to say every piece of this puzzle is a unpacking like a rose opening up, showing us that peace has actual tangible, it has a smell, it has a look, it has a feel that reflects something that creates wonder and invitation to it. And so a relational theology of peace lives in the story that reveals a God and then says, Wow, how did how how do we get that? Well, we have to understand that we have been formatted as individuals, which breaks down the basic of what it means to be in relationship because we get stuck inside. Well, let's rediscover what it means to be persons. What is it that stops us from being persons? Well, John McMurray's work again, he said, you know, fear is a word that we use to describe what we think is one of many emotions but he said what if fear is actually our core and dominant emotion of self-focus of protection that has a good aspect to it that is we don't die if we drive on the correct side of the road because we're afraid of getting hit but what if fear takes over and if in every situation our judgment is how is this going to impact me what if that's what creates the life of fractured relationship because we're so focused on the self we've lost the other well what do we need we need a perfect love that casts out fear yes, yes, yes you've not been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again as though fear is the default of our life and enslaves us so we need to discover the nature of how fear breaks it down and once we can get 
how that works, then we have the path back to shalom, the path back to peace, the way of being with one another that finds the reconciliation, the being at one with one another that is the agenda of what atonement looks like. And then we are invited into seeing systemically how the nature of what it means to be in family relationships, community relationships, to be the church in the world. All these things have implications of what it means to be people who are gospel people, meaning those who don't just speak about something that's untrue, but who act in such a way that by your love for one another, we see that you are a person of peace. You are a community of peace, and you are bringing that to our neighborhood. And so that the nature of the friendship that flows out of that is the ultimate outworking of being friends, of learning to be hospitable, and to be in hospitals, and to be involved in hospice, to deal with the final stages of life, as well as the process of life, that those are the practical outworkings of what it means to be people of shalom, people of peace who are grounded in the life of God, but that that always takes them into a life of action that creates relationships that have a character to them that one could describe as the fruit of the Spirit, which is never something that just happens inside. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those are not emotions inside me. They are the emotive ways that I'm motivated to act with love and joy with other people. So that's the final outcome of what a theology of peace brings to us. Well, great having you in this conversation today. We welcome you to the School of Peace Theology. Look forward to your course. Michael, close us off. That was absolutely beautiful. I think, um, as, as you mentioned earlier, Greg, a, a, a course like this, which is an introductory course, you know, um, opens up so many other channels and possibilities for uh, continuing this kind of thinking that is going to be foundational for the future of Protestant Christendom. And uh, I'm very excited about having this uh, course taught by Dr. Folsom. This is great.